Welcome back to the Fluid Fan Podcast, brought to you by Sports Innovation Lab. I'm your host, Angela Ruggiero, the CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab. We are a market research and strategy company with a hyper-focus on the intersection of sports and technology. Our mission every day is to help our clients, help the industry, create breakthrough fan experiences through technology. And uh, we always do that through the lens of the consumer, the fluid fan, hence the name of this podcast. Uh, We're really focused on helping our clients, helping the industry better understand the behavioral changes that we're seeing and the technologies that actually enable fandom. So you'll hear more about that on every fluid fan podcast. But if you want to learn more about our, our research, any of the data tools that we use, or any overall understanding of, of what we do, who we work with, go on our website, sportsilab.com. So I'm really excited for today's episode. We have a great guest and an extraordinarily influential woman in the sports and entertainment landscape. My conversation today is with Stephanie McMahon, the Chief Brand Officer of WWE. On today's episode, you'll hear how Stephanie and her team have built the WWE brand up to be a global phenomenon with over a billion social media followers, a billion, I said that right, and certainly one of the most subscribed YouTube channels in the world. Number four, I believe, my favorite number for those that listen to this podcast, number four in the world, I told her she's got to get to number one soon, but you'll hear about her appreciation for the community and the work that WWE does every day to reach their fans all over the globe. Just a great person, a a really fun conversation, and got to learn more around how she envisions the brand of WWE growing and what she's doing to help this entertainment property. So without further delay, I'm pleased to welcome Stephanie McMahon, the Chief Brand Officer of the WWE to the Fluid Fan Podcast. Welcome everyone to the Fluid Fan Podcast. I am incredibly honored, excited, fangirling here. My guest today, Stephanie McMahon, the Chief Brand Officer of WWE. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the Fluid Fan Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And let me just say, I am equally fangirling over you. You're (laughs) just remarkable. (laughs) Thank you. That's very kind. People know you both on and off sort of the court uh, or in the ring. And I wanted to start this conversation predating, obviously, what you do now as chief brand officer, because you're, you're an athlete, like you've, you've crushed it. For those that don't know your actual wrestling career, women's champion, SmackDown GM, Raw general manager, and Raw commissioner. So you've done a lot, you know, <laughs> in the ring, off the ring. Tell me a little bit about your sort of persona first before we dive into your your current role at WWE. Oh, my persona. Yeah. So I have pretty much for the majority of my career been a heel in the parlance of our business, which is a baddie or a villain, depending on where you come from. Uh, I am the boss's daughter, but I play sort of the egomaniacal boss's daughter, putting profits ahead of people and, you know, all that good stuff. It's been a while since I've been on TV. I make sort of cameo appearances here and there now, but it's been a really fun ride. And and I really appreciate you calling me an athlete. I think I'm like a wannabe athlete, <laughs> but I sure do train hard. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, you've, it's awesome. I think it illuminates though, that you've lived the gamut. You understand the business. You've actually been a performer or an athlete where you have to train and all the things that you're doing to support those individuals, as well as the actual growth of the company. So I, I always like to highlight that. I think, I think it's super interesting, not just for what you did, but like the perspective, I think that you're now bringing to the business and which, you know, again, carried over four-time most powerful women in cable honoree. You've got a, a number of awards, but did you always know you wanted to work, as you mentioned, with your father in this line? Is, was there any doubt you would go here or was it, or was it just part of who you are from the very beginning? Well, I, you know, I've always been a fan of our product and my parents were so busy growing the business that for me, it was, you know, my way of giving back to my family. You know, my, my parents had to travel a lot. We didn't really have nannies, so they kind of dragged me along. My first job was a child model, you know, for our magazine. And yes, you can Google some pretty embarrassing old pictures of me modeling said merchandise, ski hats. I did a couple of things with Chip from Kate and Allie. Not sure how that happened, but for WWE, he got paid. I didn't. <laughs> That's another story. But to your point about just going back for a second in terms of you know, being in the ring, I, I do really think that it's such an added benefit that I have had. It's a, it's a leg up. It's an advantage because I've had the opportunity to interact with our fans directly right there in the live event, you know, obviously pre COVID, but I've, I've had the chance to really be on that side of our business to actually take the bumps, if you will, in the ring, you know, and again, certainly not to the level of, of our regular performers and athletes, but I think that it, provides such a unique perspective, you know, because you, you have perspective on what it feels like to be a talent. You have perspective on how you interact with your fans and the skill sets that, that you can bring forward from that. And I think one of the, the key skills that I've learned that I've applied from being in the ring to then in the boardroom, if you will, but is really vulnerability. Because in order to truly connect with people, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. In my mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, you're totally right. It's a newfound strength. I think prior to, I don't know, Brene Brown, she's always talking about this. It's, you know, you wouldn't think it's a strength, but I hundred percent agree. If you can actually relate at the end of the day, because yeah. we're all human. Um, right. We all have our ups and downs. Um, I love that. So you got named to, uh, you know, went through the ranks, so to speak um, on the creative writing side, you were the EVP there to being named chief brand officer in 2013. And your job is to lead efforts to enhance WWE's brand reputation across constituents. Um, you're a huge ambassador. Obviously, you're doing a lot of interesting things. So I'm curious where you're at today, What leading up to that chief brand officer 2013, what did you learn now from, you mentioned the fans and the creative piece and the ability to like be in the ring. What did you take to now your current role? I think that, you know, vulnerability is definitely one of those keys, but when, and a lot of this I was doing simultaneously, mm-hmm. you know, I was both performing in the show and I was an executive in the company. So there was no transition period, you know, where I had to, okay, now I'm it, this time's over. Now I'm going here. It was all happening all at once. And so it was a lot of, you know, applying what you've learned in as many ways as you possibly can. And I was our first ever female, actually, to head our creative writing team, our live events team, our talent relations team, talent brand management team, 
Um, ultimately, our entire digital team, when we first launched the, the WWE app um, prior to the network, and just when we launched WWE Network, which is our you know, OTT service, and we were one of the first to launch behind really um, Netflix and Hulu, that's when we made the transition to chief brand officer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a pretty unique qualification set that I have, you know, growing up in our business, being exposed to to so many different businesses. I was also, you know, in high school, I I worked our switchboard. So I I do everything. Yeah, well, and, you know, when I was growing up, I, I was an intern and I did collate and staple our weekly newsletter because at the time that's how it was distributed and we had far less employees. So yes, you know, really, really try to learn as many aspects of the business as I could from the ground up, you know, while I was growing up and, and to really apply those lessons, vulnerability being one, yeah. um, communication being two, you know, you have to know your audience. And I think that that's so critical. One day, uh, I actually have given this as an example. I was on Monday Night Raw. I was in a, my performing capacity. And so I was being a bad guy. And I physically slapped the big show, who is one of our biggest, literally, stars at you know over seven feet. He actually has a show on Netflix right now called The Big Show Show. And um, I was really mean and nasty getting in his face and threatening his paycheck and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I go from that to not even 24 hours later, I was named um, the honorary chairperson for Team Connecticut for Special Olympics. And I was giving a speech to some of the athletes who were going to be competing. So it was very different speech, a very different role, you know, and, uh, and I was much more myself, obviously. Yeah. I had the chance to tell the athletes that while they think that our superstars are the ones who are the inspiration, that really it's these athletes are the ones who inspire our stars. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely true. So just to, to, to weave in another message there, but I think knowing your audience is, is the first rule of communication. Yeah. No, and, and you couldn't have said it better. Again, one of the reasons I was excited to have you on this podcast, which focuses on the fluid fan, the consumer, the you know, the people that we are trying to connect to. And if you don't know them, if you haven't grown, I mean, you grew up in the business, you perform in the ring and obviously know the business inside it out. So you're perfectly suited to communicate your success and how you got there. And, um, you know, you've been recognized in multiple ways and in, in how you've been able to do that. One thing I was really interested in, not just hearing you speak right now, um, you seem like a good person that really like, can connect, right? I think that's so important. Like the EQ piece of this. Yeah. You need, you need, I mean, sometimes I think we talk tech a lot in business, but like the EQ piece of actually connecting to your fan under, if if fans are fluid, if they're, you know, they act differently, they're not diehards. You have to do more to, to, to empower them. You have to do more to connect with them. You have to understand them at the end of the day, which is what I'm hearing you, you say right now, but I'm curious then to point that towards the business of WWE. I've heard you talk about being, you know, taking a lot of pride in being the premier sports and entertainment company versus again, in, in this industry, just viewing, viewing our, our properties as, as sports properties. You've always seen it, the bigger lens of like, you're an entertainment property. And, and as such have, I think, been first to market in so many ways to connect to that consumer, connect to that fan and build out the brand of WWE. And in ways that I see a lot of traditional sports properties lagging because they're so attached to the dire. They don't think they need to 
do more. And again, just hearing you talk about the approach to the fan is really interesting. So I'm curious, again, as you've taken on that role as chief brand officer, how are you building up WWE to, you know, whether it's connecting your fans to the superstars or investing in the technology platforms that allow to have the reach that you want and the engagement that you want? Like what's been the approach overall to really taking the brand of WWE global? Well, if you think about the fact that WWE, and this is how I look at it anyway, really is an interactive brand. And it was one of the first interactive brands because of our live events. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are sorely missing our fans right now in attendance. You know, they just are so much a part of our show and they actually influence what happens. You know, they're, they're holding their signs, they're cheering, they're booing or worse, they're not saying anything. And that's, real-time feedback and actually can even affect the performance of what we're doing in the ring. Mm. So there's a, a lot of improv. And if what you're doing isn't working, you have to change on a dime with, with what you're doing. Then you bring in social media, which really allows you as a fan to have that voice, even if you're not live in the arena. So we currently have you know over a billion fans across all different platforms And I think one of the major reasons for that is because of that connection, because it not only gives our fan, our fans a voice, but then we respond and there's a conversation and then there's action. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of, I shouldn't just say leagues, but leagues and brands, you know, they understand the importance of social media and they, but they, they don't necessarily know how to act upon it. And I think the best example of how we listened to our fan base really was with the women's evolution. You know, not only did we start developing and training our female athletes the same as the men and giving them the same opportunities as the men had in terms of match time, reps, et cetera, because like we all know, the more reps you have, the better you're going to get no matter what it is. And it really led to this movement. So then on, and and that was at our, our training facility and our property NXT, which started off as a developmental system, but then evolved into our third global touring brand. Then on Raw and SmackDown, which were considered our main rosters and, and still very much are, we had a women's match, a tag match, so four women competing that lasted all of 30 seconds. And it was the only women's match on the show. And unfortunately, that was the norm. And it started this hashtag, give divas a chance. That was then how we branded our women was the divas division. And it was so specific. Our fans were calling for longer matches, better athleticism, more character development, better storylines. And their voices were so loud. I mean, three days trending on Twitter that our chairman and CEO, my father responded at the highest level we hear you keep watching hashtag give divas a chance. So then that strategically at WrestleMania, WrestleMania 31 in front of our, our biggest audience ever at at t stadium, over 101,000 people. We had one of our female hall of famers, Lita go out and announce the rebranding of the divas division to the women's division. She unveiled a new championship belt that was more akin to the men's, but still very feminine and announced that our women would now be called superstars, the same as the men. And that has now led to our women headlining and main eventing our television pay-per-view events, WrestleMania for the first time in 36 years at last year's WrestleMania pre-COVID was headlined by three women, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch. And they were the main event, not because they're women, but because they were the biggest stars 
with the best storyline, with the most athleticism. They were what people wanted to see. And it's getting to the point now where our women being the main event is just the way it is. It's not even news anymore, which is an exciting place to be. But what is news, just two pieces to that, is it is a global impact. You asked about being a global company. In Abu Dhabi, it took us six years, but we were finally able to have a women's match. And the chant in the audience was, this is hope. Men and women chanting, this is hope, which is not a typical WWE chant. And then that has led to not only the first, but the second women's match in Saudi Arabia. That happened. This is amazing. I mean, I can't say enough positive things. Obviously, being a woman myself in this space, playing ice hockey, which again, you know, you're listening to the market. I think that's the first thing you you listen, you and you responded as an organization, not, oh, it's the nice thing to do, not, oh, it's, you know, our CSR initiative, but no, we're going to treat them as equals. And the market responded with, we love this, give us more. Um, and to your point of the positive impact sport can have on society. I can't, you know, tout that enough. I love, I love that chant. I'm going to retell that story because I, yeah. I agree. You can, you know, sport does break down barriers and, um, and gender barriers is one of those things that it, that it absolutely, absolutely has the opportunity to do. If, if you see it, you can be it. If you're putting it forward. So thank you on behalf of all the women out there that are saying, I want more women's sports for doing that. And, and obviously taking a chance. So it's hopefully is generously uh, providing a nice, uh, you know, capital uh, <laughs> influx fairs for your organization. So, so thank you for doing that, first of all. Um, oh, gosh, you know, don't, don't thank me. I mean, really, it's a credit to every single woman who's ever stepped foot inside what we call the squared circle. And I always say there's, you know, I'll never be able to name everybody's name. And there's probably so many stories that I haven't heard, so many unsung heroes and the sacrifices that they have made throughout time are just unfathomable. Yeah. It, but it's interesting though, because because of the approach, the cultural approach your organization has, and you talked about, you literally just named what our immersive media practice. We say sports organizations have to be immersive. They have to be social, accessible, and interactive. You've yep. created a way not to just stream, you know, your events at people, but actually interact with them, give them agency, give them ways to, to create and respond. Empower them. Empower them and, and yep. create that social community that we talk about, which is what sports does. Um, and at the same time, you're accessible. I have to highlight your social media because it's just sick. As we were researching where you guys are at and wh- why you're able to listen to the audience, why you're able to listen to this opportunity in the market for women, 501 million total likes on Facebook, John Cena being the number one most followed active American athlete. Yes, you have to cachet that properly. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. He's there. Athlete. I know. Instagram, 226 million followers. Twitter, 221 million. YouTube, 63 million total subscribers, the number one sports channel on YouTube ahead of NBA. Everyone says they're innovative. You're, you're beating them. You're beating the NFL, MLB, ESPN, NASCAR. Da, 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 da. You've, you've, you're on 15 social media platforms. You guys get it. You're and building. The most viewed YouTube channel in the world. Fourth most. Wow. Yeah. 
All right, go at, I'm the athlete in me is saying go after number three, number two. <laughs> no kidding. I know. I know. Pretty good though. I, I was number four. The other channels just keep popping up. <laughs> but you got, but I think I want to highlight that because again, making sports properties more immersive, more social accessible, interactive, you've taken that approach and it's allowed you to respond on a dime to create new products and services, be on new platforms. Has this always been part of your mindset? I mean, this is no small feat. Um, getting to market first and leaning on to these new technologies that most, you know, there's a lot of, I, in my opinion, there's a lot of fast followers in the space that are like, oh, you're doing it or you're doing it. Okay, we'll do it. We'll invest in this par- partnership or this property or this technology. How are you guys first mover? How are you, what's the mindset within WWE to take these chances? So Vince, my father has always talked about taking calculated risks and being slightly ahead of the curve. You never want to be so far ahead of the curve that people don't get it. Mm -hmm. And you never certainly want to be behind the curve. So you want to just be slightly ahead of the curve. But when you think about even WrestleMania one, right, which has evolved into our Super Bowl, our World Cup, however you want to look at it. WrestleMania one was really my father's idea of how were we going to put WWE on the map? You know, what was our big sporting event? What was the equivalent of our Grammys or our, you know, Emmys? How are we going to get people to, to really be talking about WWE? This is back in the 80s before there was social media. Mm-hmm. So he came up with this idea to combine the best of pop culture and what we now call sports entertainment. And we had, let's see, Mr. T competed in the main event. Um, Muhammad Ali was the special guest referee. Billy Martin was the special timekeeper, I think. Cindy Lauper accompanied Wendy Richter to the ring for the women's championship match, which is part of the whole rock and wrestling connection that we had back then with, with MTV. So it really was Liberace and the Rockettes opened the show. So really people from all different streams of celebrity and media came together for this one big event. And I'm really happy that it worked because, you know, my parents did mortgage everything that they owned to make it happen. But it was a calculated risk, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we've never been afraid to bet on ourselves, which is exactly what we did in the OTT space. So when we were about to launch WWE Network, which again was about six years ago, there weren't a lot of people ahead of us in the space. There, there was Netflix, there was Hulu, certainly not a sports entertainment property. And we were actually pretty far down the line because we had been listening to our fans again, and they had been saying they wanted a, a channel, if you will. We, you know, we want to have a WWE channel. And we were pretty far down the line, about two years worth of negotiations for a linear deal. And even though we were into the red line agreement with our first partner, we actually took a pause and said, hang on a second. We did some more research and we found that our audience was five times more likely to consume online video than the American norm. And we said, oh, hang on a second. We've got, we've got something here. And we quickly pivoted. And within eight months, we launched the WWE Network. Wow. That's a great story. I love that you said research too, (laughs) because you're not flying blind. You're understanding your market. You're understanding, you know, the market opportunity and the actual fans. That's one thing we see a lot of um, properties not actually understanding their fan journeys, not actually understanding what their fluid fans want and, and where they're headed today versus where they were yesterday. That's fascinating. Eight months. You guys must have been busy. <laughs> <laughs> to say oh, the man. 
Yeah. Well, it's an innovative company. It's an entrepreneurial yep. company. I mean, yep. that's really the spirit that drives us. And it's not risk for risk's sake. And that's where the research and the data comes into play. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is gut, but it has to be based on, on some facts. You know, what is the data telling you? And I think, you know, just personally, again, from my own experience, I think a lot of times companies now are getting so swept up in the data yeah. that they forget to talk to their consumers, you know, whether it's consumers or fans or what have you, you know, and and that's where I think social media can be such a valuable tool. And now, of course, it can be a lot too. It can be very overwhelming, but you just have to pull out the key themes. And one of the things I do too, I mean, I think it's important to sit in the stands. Mm -hmm. It's a little harder to do that when you're a a, a performer, an on-screen performer or an athlete that, that people might be you know, looking to engage with you. But for the most part, I think your, your audience and your consumers would be very respectful to the fact that you're sitting there, A, you yeah. want to enjoy the experience, but this is, this is another um, value of WWE is to be a user. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to be a fan. Yeah. Uh, the CMO of uh, the NHL, Heidi Browning, she's, she told me the same thing. I love Heidi. Yes. I sit in the stands all the time and I just talk to people and listen. I don't yeah. tell them who I am. Like, it's so smart. First you person research. Yeah, I can't beat it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I always ask, you know, when, when our fans ask for autographs, even, you know, it's like, well, who's your favorite and why, you know, and I like, I like to pick people's brains. You got to give me a little, I'll go get you an autograph, but give me a little hair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So So understanding those fans, obviously is what we do every day. That's all we think about is what do fans want? How are they changing? How are their needs changing and evolving? One concept that we've focused on that you guys do better than anyone else, I would argue, is the concept of transmedia and media convergence. So we talk about the idea to have the ability to produce content for all these different platforms, but then have them all come back together and tie into one. There's a a common storyline. So again, if your fans are navigating different platforms, they're still understanding the same storylines. You're going to where they are as opposed to having them come to where you are, right? You guys do that super well. Can you talk about your your media format, distribution, content approach, and how you're able to manage it. Because as I mentioned, all the 15, I think, social sites you're on and your OTT and pay-per-view and like, how do you tether this whole thing together so that actually is one congruent way of, you know, transmedia, media convergence? Sure. So we actually have a, a content ecosystem is what we call it. And so you have the linear, the traditional TV, which is still really important. We have, you know, Monday Night Raw on USA Network. We also have NXT on USA Network. And then we have SmackDown on Fox. So it's seven hours of live programming pre-COVID, but we have not stopped producing our content. It's just not always live right now because there's, you know, certain uh, pitfalls and challenges that we have to work around, but seven hours of content every single week, usually live. And then you add on to that, as you said, the pay-per-views, which typically are a part of our network, right? So, so that's where we wanted, we created the, the WWE network really to super serve our most ardent fans. And our pay-per-view programming, which we had originally, you know, if if you think about it as sort of once a month, we have a really big event. Then we have four key tentpole events with the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. And they all really drive to the big mega mothership WrestleMania. So it's this, the way we write our storylines is uh, very calendar-based. And it's, you know, the television storylines where we're on, again, seven hours every week. 
build to these bigger pay-per-view events that we have once a month, build to the key temple events that we basically have once a quarter, which all build towards the big mega WrestleMania. And then we also have our, our AVOD strategy, which is of course digital and, and social where, you know, again, you have, you do have to create content for the platforms. It's just not one size can't serve all because it's just not the way it works. And yeah. I think that's also because people want different things from different platforms and you have to give them what they want. Um, the good news is they're happy to tell you, you know, and they're happy to tell you what's working and what isn't working. Yeah. But so that's, that's how we leverage and work this ecosystem. But then we also sell our content out, you know, outside of WWE. So I mentioned the big show show on Netflix or a movie that we did with Kofi Kingston called the main event also on Netflix. We have um, five biographies that are coming out on A&E biography. We had um, the Andre the Giant biography on HBO Sports, which was, you know, their highest rated sports doc in 30 years, I think it was. So there is, you know, just this proliferation of content and demand out there. And it is really challenging to determine what goes where. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's constantly evolving. And for example, we just had uh, a really popular docuseries called The Last Ride, and it was based on The Undertaker. So we've had this iconic character for 30 years who's never really shown his true personality. You know, he's always been very mysterious and very dark and one of our most recognizable stars. Um, And according to Q scores, he was like just off the chart, one of the most recognizable individuals of all time. And we just lifted the curtain and and provided this sort of peek into his life and who he really is. Mm -hmm. And now we're taking that content and we're going, okay, well, it was really successful on WWE Network. Is there a second window potentially somewhere else? Yeah. You know, to get even a different set of eyeballs. So it's busy, I will say. Well, it sounds like there's a rhyme to the reason, reason to the rhyme, obviously any good business. I just, from the outside in, I'm like, wow, there's a lot going on, but you guys are crushing it. You're doing it the right way one point you made and I remember the undertaker when I was younger so he does have good brand he does how do you think about the individual athlete because we've talked a lot about fluid fans the difference Mm -hmm. between a a diehard global fan into this new era we call fluid fans they're actually just following athletes they're not following teams or brands per se they're really like they don't like the personality the influencer and you're propping up you're creating new content to your point with the undertaker new ways to find out about these athletes and you know we recently had a conversation on our ama with your colleague um rajan uh, Mata, the chief product and technology officer for wwe and he talked a little bit about you know building the global audience and giving access to these superstars what's your approach with the individual athletes the individual performers that are you know core to the brand of wwe and again, do you, do you see an evolution from when you joined to where you are now in terms of how fans have evolved and, you know, what they follow versus, you know, back then to what they're really trending and following today? And, it, and it, is it the athlete or is it just the brand of WWE so strong? I think it's probably a mix of both, but I think certainly it's the athlete and the individual because social media has now allowed us to get to know these people in a way that they wouldn't necessarily have before. Mm -hmm. Um, Our whole business has evolved. You know, it used to be that we never really revealed a a peek behind the curtain. We never, like everyone stayed in character all the time. Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, will tell stories about 
you know, actually being given of when he first got this character being given a limousine to ride around in like during the day to, to just to, you know, sell the yeah, person, yeah. but you don't have to do that anymore. And the audience is savvy. And of course they recognize that these individuals are real people and they're just as interested in who the real person is almost even sometimes more so than they are the character. But I think that that's, you know, I'm going to kind of go macro and then distill it down. So I think that when you're really nailing it in terms of your brand or your league or your show, and you're bringing in just tons of audiences, it's because you're, you're widening beyond your core, you're widening beyond that core base. And with what we do, because it is sports entertainment, right? It is storylines, it is character development. So we have to give people a reason to care. You have to give people a reason to tune in. Now you can be invested in this person so that you care even that much more when you see their character on screen. Like you're, you're with them in a way that you couldn't have been before, mm -hmm. you know, because you know their personal struggles, you know their, you know, what they've been up against, what they've overcome. You know, you're with them in a different way than you would be if you were just an observer of the product. Mm. And I think there are a lot of people who are Roman Reigns fans or Becky Lynch fans or John Cena fans or Kofi Kingston fans and New Day fans than there are WWE fans, mm -hmm. right? Because people might say, oh, I, I don't really love WWE, but I love Becky Lynch, <laughs> you know, or I love Sasha Banks. Yeah. So I, I think that the individual brands are so important. And we right now, we have over 200 individual you know, brands, intellectual property yep. that WWE has helped cultivate and create with these performers. And we actually developed a content innovation lab at our performance center. And the whole purpose of that is to actually train our talent, how to use digital and social media, how to become their own producers and editors, you know, how to really become their own brands and on their own, take advantage of all of these different platforms. And they get it. You know, our talent are really, really smart. They are businessmen and women. They're not just athletes. They're not just entertainers. They, they really get it. And they understand that this is a business. And the more popular their individual brands are, the better it's going to be for them and the better it's going to be for our business. Yeah, you, you couldn't have said it better. I absolutely agree. The idea that athletes are brands now, if they don't get that, you know, you're major individually or collectively as an organization, you're missing the boat but that you're investing in the athlete, empowering those athletes, giving them the tools and technologies to build their brand. Cause it is the pie gets bigger for everyone. It isn't just, yep. it's not a zero sum game. Like it maybe, um, you know, used to be, uh, it's, it's about, you know, we're in this together. If we can build our brands and you can enable those athletes to build their brands, WWE is much bigger. So it's good to hear, by the way, my, um, my favorite, my personal connection, Chris Nowinski, Mr. Harvard. Yeah, so, <laughs> of course. Chris is, uh, Chris is actually one of our advisors. He's a good, I went to school with him at Harvard and, um, you know, I actually, he got me to pledge my brain. I don't know how he ended up getting me part with my brain when I'm, you know, on, awesome. the, on the next awesome. thing. But uh, Mr. Harvard was the guy I was following most. Yeah, well, I get it. You got to have something you can relate to, right? Going back yep. to the, the communication yeah. piece and the storytelling piece. But I would like to add though. So another thing that you're doing that I think is really important is it's not just the athlete brands that need to have a voice. The executives are a brand too. 
-hmm. you know, and you talk about Heidi or we look at you or we look at some of these other incredible women and men that I've interviewed and, and come to know that executive brand presence is really important. And I don't think enough executives really take advantage of that or maybe understand the opportunity that's in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good call out. You know, again, another, another point for fluid fans is they follow causes. They may be, Mm -hmm. they may just like you as an executive and what you represent or the causes that uh, the brand of WWE gets behind and fans, you know, like any brand are going to say yes or no. So they're evolving. Consumers are evolving. So I think it's a great point that it's not just your athletes or your performers. It's also the people that are leading the charge within the industry. And there's a responsibility there too. I think that yeah. it gets overlooked sometimes. And it takes all of us. Yeah. You know, it really does. Mm-hmm. Another focal point of sports is bringing people together, um, building the community sport. I believe, you know, as an athlete, that's part of our mission as an industry sports and entertainment is all about creating a platform for people to come together. What are you focused on Stephanie in terms of building the community? What are some of the initiatives that, that you do both from a brand perspective, but, but really um, a, a community perspective? Sure. Well, personally, my personal mission is actually pediatric cancer. Hmm. Um, And that's just because of a little boy I fell in love with named Connor Mahalik, who is a WWE fan. And my husband and I started a fund called Connor's Cure in His Name um, that now sits at the V Foundation to hopefully one day find cures for pediatric cancer. As a company, we have four key pillars to giving back, and they are hope inclusion, empowerment, and service. And we have various different partnerships, whether it's, you know, partnership with Boys and Girls Club for our anti-bullying initiative called Be a Star, Show Tolerance and Respect. And we have the opportunity to ask the kids, you know, how many of you have been bullied? And unfortunately, they almost all raise their hands. And then we turn to the WWE superstars and we say, okay, how many of you have been bullied? And we all raise our hands and there's this audible gasp and it's about providing tools, you know, to those kids working in partnership with Boys and Girls Club and the Yale Center of Emotional Intelligence who helped us create the program and and the curriculum. So it's, you know, that that's one aspect. And I can tell you stories in each category. I mean, so many incredible, amazing stories. Uh, Special Olympics, I mentioned, Glad I mentioned, Susan G. Komen, um, B Foundation, We work with so many different first responders. We actually were a part of a campaign in partnership with 13 different leagues, which was called the Real Heroes Project. And it was something actually that Adweek had helped bring us all together, a woman named Nadine. And she had put us all together. And there was, I came late to the conversation, but out of all of it, Heidi was a key leader in this, Heidi Heidi Browning, who you and I both know, as as I, I keep mentioning. And um, it brought together all of these leagues to do a PSA to demonstrate, you know, who the real heroes are. Because we, we took a look at all of our brands and we said, okay, what is it that, that binds all of us? What is it about sports, you know, that brings people together? And one of those aspects are the athletes. And how could we leverage the athlete brands? Well, athletes are seen as heroes, right? But in today's world, the real heroes are the people who are on the front lines fighting COVID, 
you know, we talked about all of the different, the teachers, the, the, you know, the first responders, everybody in, in all different aspects, but we decided to focus on the medical community. So the campaign actually featured these various athletes and, and WWE superstars across, again, a wide spectrum. And they would take their jersey or t-shirt in our case, whatever it was, put it down and put a piece of masking tape over their name and write the name of the medical worker who they were going to then tell their story. They said, you know, I am so-and-so and, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm seen as a hero, but the real hero is Nurse Cardone. You know, and she she has flown from where she lives to New York City, leaving three kids behind to put herself on the front line to help save lives. And that's just one example. And it was such a powerful campaign. And 72 and Sunny was the ad agency that came up with it. And they they worked, you know, basically pro bono and just really came together so fast to put this campaign together. And it's I think it demonstrates when leagues come together, when people come together, when brands come together. We really can create change and, and we really can do meaningful work. And I think that that's a huge part of what we need to do and continue to do moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, at the end of the day, sport is a vehicle to affect change in the world. And, but it takes true leaders to see that, to use their, their brand, their property, to you know, invest the time and the resources, but I love that story. I mean, I, re I remember when that happened and just seeing all the role models out there really, to your point, focusing on these frontline workers and giving them a voice. So thank you for lending your voice and coming together with, with all the other properties that did that. I, I love that. Yeah. You guys are continuing to use your brand to, to, to change lives. So, uh, so congratulations. No, thanks. We, um, we try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not every property does. Some properties are just bottom line at the end of the day. And so again, not that you can't, I, again, you, you can do good and make money at the same time. I mean, that yeah. to me is not, not that you're doing good to make money, but they're one in the same. If you're, uh, if you're purpose-driven in some ways, uh, um, you know, again, it's a win, win, win. So keep, but in our athletes, I'll say, you know, it's their favorite part of their job. Uh -huh. Whether it's meeting a, a child from Make-A-Wish, you know, we have an over 30 year partnership with Make-A-Wish Foundation, yeah. um, you know, or going to a hospital and, and, and visiting somebody who needs it and seeing literally the smile on their face, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it always is those people that motivate our superstars that motivate us, yeah. Yeah. you know, at the end of the day, all we have is each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I remember coming back from the Olympics, talking to, uh, you know, boys and girls club or the girl scouts or the boy scouts or a hockey camp. And, and it's that, or that random person you've never met that doesn't yep. even care about hockey that saw you and like cried or had a moment you, you affected their life in some way. You didn't even know them. Uh, that to yep. me, absolutely. It was my favorite part of being an Olympic athlete. So I can see how your, your athletes think the same way. It's, it's a, it's crazy you get you get to do that in life and uh, and have that kind of change. So, but it takes a platform. It takes a a, a group to see that and continue to create those uh, opportunities for for your for your athletes and they they get it. Um, so you're the chief brand officer. So keep keep doing your job, <laughs> Stephanie. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. So one more question before we we turn over the the four with four segment we do at the end. Uh, my little it's a that's brand right I'm, I'm, I'm learning totally. I'm gonna learn from you Steph you're, you're uh, the I don't think so I think you got it <laughs> in the time of COVID 
you know, it's turned live entertainment on its head. And uh, you, you've obviously been operating out of your performance center down in Orlando, recording shows without fans, and you've held a two-night WrestleMania event there. So you've already been, obviously, this isn't anything new. What's it been like? And how are you trying to counteract the fanless experience? What's, what's been your, uh, your learnings to date there? So a number of learnings. And, and I think first and foremost, the reason why we never went dark, so to speak, is because our company truly believes it's a responsibility to put smiles on our fans' faces. Mm-hmm. Like that is our mission, is to put smiles on faces the world over and to provide some levity and escape you know, from, from whatever it is you're going through. And, and certainly with this pandemic, it has hit us in a, in a, in a really hard way, right? Especially the sports industry, because we can't have fans in attendance. And now, you know, di- different leagues are starting to bring fans back and we're all sort of experimenting and seeing where we are. But some of the key learnings have been, A, how much we miss our fans, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, and we had to pivot, you know, sort of at the, the last minute, this is all so many decisions were made being made real time based on whatever information was coming in. And we went from having, you know, over 80,000 people at Raymond James stadium for WrestleMania to having no fans and a two night WrestleMania, as you said before, shot out of our performance center, which is essentially like a warehouse that we've Mm -hmm. just now redone. Some of the key learnings have been though camera angles, you know, how we shoot around empty seats, commentary and how we need to fill time. And in the past, we always wanted to lay out to hear, you know, different real audio. Well, now we sort of want to fill that audio because you don't want dead space. We have brought in some of our developmental talent to act as fans in the audience, which has helped a little bit. It really has, even though it's, it's not a, a huge number of people. We've experimented with various technology. We actually tested before WrestleMania having our fans virtually as a part of the show. And in the, the focus group that we did, some of the feedback was, you know, we don't really want to see each other. <laughs> so we don't love this experience right now. And, and so at that point in time, we scrapped that and, and we pulled it back. There's just been a, a number of virtual, you know, how we're adding in um, virtual technology. So, for example, the ceiling, which typically has these big giant fans, you know, you, literal fans like to, to cool it off. You now don't see that. You see, you know, graphics that, that we're putting in through, through virtual reality. We can project and, and do different things graphically, you know, utilizing different technology. So, and we're experimenting with different cameras that we could put in different places. We've always tried to be at the forefront of, you know, various technological experiences. And, and here now there's just a real need for it. Um, in a way that I think is pretty unprecedented. So we're, we're experimenting real time, yeah. trying a lot of different things. And I think that's one of the key learnings too, right? Experiment, fail. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. You know, I think that's how we're all going to learn. And I think that people and audiences and, and fans and consumers are a little more understanding of that right now. Totally. Yeah. You know? yeah. And also it allows them to be a part of the experience. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Did this work? Did it not work? So for example, we tried uh, sweetening the audio for one of our matches in one of our big pay-per-views recently. And the feedback that we got was that it sounded false. It didn't sound real. It took away from the experience. So, but then there was another um, smaller group who were saying, no, no, we, we really liked it. 
So what we've done now is taken all of that feedback and now we're adding a little bit of sweetening, but where it's natural, you know, where our fans and attendants, the, the developmental talent that are there, when we hear them cheering, we'll bump it up a little bit, mm. you know, and, and when they're booing, we'll, we'll bump up the booing a little bit. So mm. it's just a little bit of enhancement and trying to find that right level, you know, yeah. but, but I think experimentation is, is huge right now. It's a good segue that it sounds like you have a culture of innovation internally. Cause to your point, you got to fail. You got to just fail fast and learn. I always say, mm-hmm. however many games I lost, the, the worst thing you could do is just go on to the next and not learn, yeah. you know, and the games you won, why did you win? Like do that self-assessment, understand that you're going to fall, you're going to fail. Um, so it's, it's good to hear that you guys have that approach and that you're using this is, I think this is the best opportunity that sports has ever had. You know, you, you said it yeah. perfectly. The fans are going to give you a little more leeway. The, the industry is a little bit more understanding and you, you can try things that normally, you know, the bar is almost lower. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, I mean, do you think we'll be in a better spot at the end of all this? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Before we go four with four, that was my number. This is about innovation. Steph McMahon, chief brand officer, WWE. What does innovation mean to you? go. (laughs) All right. I think innovation breeds change. And I think change is what is necessary for us to move forward as a society, as, you know, as a population, you know, you have to learn to embrace change Mm -hmm. um, and take advantage of it. I think innovation really provides opportunity. Love that. Love that. Is there an individual, most innovative person, someone you look at in, uh, in, in our industry or, or, or even outside? that sets a good example for you? It's going to sound a little self-serving, but it is my father, Vince McMahon. When you consider the fact that he took what was a territorial business and he took that and made it into a global enterprise, you know, a true sports and entertainment company, breaking down barriers along the way in 180 countries, in 28 different languages. You mentioned all of the digital stats traded on the New York Stock Exchange, valued between three to $5 billion in the mid cap. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. And along the way, what, what are some of the keys to his success? Taking calculated risks, never being afraid to fail, you know, recognizing sunk cost. If you've thrown money at something and it doesn't work, learn from it. Mm-hmm. And move on, but don't keep throwing good money after bad. You're not you're not going to win. <laughs> it's not happening. Learn and pivot and move to always have that entrepreneurial spirit and drive. I think that those are you know some of some of the the keys to his success and WWE success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're. I think you're allowed to be biased on that one. He's he's right. done a pretty good job. I feel like you know he's done all right. <laughs> testament to I think what you've been allowed to grow up in being exposed to and how you're taking that um, legacy forward so wish you all the best obviously as you take that innovative mindset forward (laughs) (laughs) so who's the most innovative company in sports media technology is there a company out there uh, whether it's a a product or provider that you think is going to change the game for us or or has already done that well, I, I don't know that it's going to change the game for us necessarily, but I, I do think someone or a company that was ahead of the curve was Peloton. Yeah. Just the way that they saw the opportunity and listened for the need, right? That's how the, 
the best businesses grow, right? There's a need, you create the business, you provide the product, and then it's got to be great. You know, there was a little bit of a challenge from a marketing perspective with the way they did a Christmas commercial or something like that. But when you think about how they have innovated, you know, they really have just continued to innovate and drive. And now they're expanding, you know, beyond the bicycle experience. And now they're going to treadmills and they're going to all these different things and they're connecting people. Mm -hmm. And especially then during a time of crisis with the pandemic, when people are stuck at home and now they're connected through these exercise devices, right. And they're continuing to, to try to improve their own personal health and, you know, leaning on each other and relying on one another to do that. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's a great example of a company that was able to capitalize on an opportunity through technology and bring people together to improve their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I need to get one of those. Didn't Oprah say something like opportunity is luck and preparation when they come together. I mean, there to your point, COVID. Absolutely. Timing's great, but the product is like very defensible in a way they're yeah, on they, they're in the market they're listening when preparation and opportunity meet so. right like I, i've heard <laughs> quote in various different yeah. ways throughout time but it's true do yeah. the work be prepared seize the opportunity yeah. cool i love it all right finally you can't say yourself this time because okay you guys I, we, this whole podcast talked about how you guys are you know doing the right things um okay. what's the most innovative league team or federation another Another group, again, that you look at that is doing the right thing in the sports entertainment space. Well, I think the NBA just really stands out. Although I will give a shout out to Heidi and the NHL and and all of the things she's doing through Twitch and other um, digital properties. I think Mm -hmm. it's really cool. But the the NBA has a longer track record of of things that they've done, companies they've partnered with, their AR experiences. I mean, it's really been even their, their, you know, summit that they do every year, they, they really have been at the core of bringing together innovation, technology, and sports. Good answer. Yeah. They, they get, they get a lot of love on this, uh, on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> for, I'm sure for, for a good reason. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for what you do for women being just who you are, being a positive role model. Again, as another woman in the space, I really appreciate you being so so out there being so uh your own brand um because you are i think moving the needle for for fellow women um but also for the brand at wwe and and what you guys are doing pushing the limits i do think you're you're providing a really you know just to the mba point like you're doing things differently and setting best practices for others to follow so Keep innovating, keep uh, leading. Um, we'll certainly be following uh, following your team and you personally, Stephanie. Um, so thank you so much again for, for being on Fluid Fan Podcast. Thank you. Thanks again to Stephanie McMahon for taking the time to join me on the show today for a really fun interview. As you heard, she led the branding effort to make WWE one of the biggest names in the sports and entertainment space across the globe. And, uh, you know, with a billion social media followers, they're well on their way to producing creative and innovative content on numerous platforms and their efforts to build up and rebrand their female superstars was super inspiring. Something that I'm, uh, um, keeping my fingers crossed will continue to make headlines and change the way that people think about 
women athletes, women sport, and women as entertainment, and they're doing it better than anyone. So keep up the great work over there. I hope you enjoyed some of the stories she shared around the work the WWE does within the community, obviously their global reach and what they're doing with their platforms and everything that they're trying to do to raise the spirits of their fans across the world, especially now during COVID when she mentioned they're in the business of smiles and, you know, we're all dying to get sports back or, or dying to get something that we can, again, come together around. And uh, they're, they're doing that through the lens of WWE. So I want to thank my producer, Jack Barlow, always does a great job, as well as the entire team at Sports Innovation Lab. Keep uh, doing what you're doing and helping our clients stay ahead and navigate this difficult market. So if you're in the business of wanting to understand the fluid fan, wanting a more in-depth look on your strategy, related to technology. That's what we do every single day. We think about technology and especially as your fans are global and, uh, and not in person, that's what we focus on as a company. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoyed our AMAs, if you go on our website and check out any of, uh, of what we do on a daily basis, again, we're all about empowering our clients to make smarter decisions around technology. So give me a shout. Let me know what you want to hear on this podcast as we move forward. If they're guests, leave us a review. Obviously, would love for you to subscribe or feel free to reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn at Sports iLab. Let us know what you're thinking. So thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Angela Ruggiero.